Once again, good morning. Um, This morning we're going to be in Acts 21, if you want to go ahead and and turn there. Um, This morning I I thought it was very fitting. Um, As I studied this week and as I I let this scripture kind of just work me over, and trust me, it it did. It it did really bad. Um, I thought it was... It was very fitting that, that God would put it on my heart to, to preach the message that he's, he's given me on this Memorial Day weekend because this message is all about perseverance. I just thought it was very fitting that, that God would give me this message today. It's, it's a, the, this weekend is, is devoted to remembering and celebrating the men and the women that, that have given their life for the service of this country. And it was those men and women that had to have a special kind of perseverance that is, that is uncommon in, in a lot of people. It's, it's, it's an uncommon trait, but these people were willing to go into enemy territory. They were willing to go where, where all logic and, and common sense would tell them to not go, but they went anyways, and, and for some it, it cost the ultimate price. And so we celebrate their sacrifice this weekend we celebrate what they've done. But this morning, as, I, as, as God gave me this thought of, of perseverance, that there's, there's this man that lived far before America was ever founded that I want to look at this morning that had that same kind of perseverance. Long before uh, the men and women uh, of this country were fighting for this country, fighting for our freedoms, there was one that was fighting for the, for the, the chance of us to have true freedom for a chance for us to have not freedom just in this life and freedom in these circumstances, but have eternal freedom. And it was through his perseverance that many of us sit here today. It was through his sacrifice and through the things that he was willing to do that we have the gospel that we have. We have the books and the Bible that we have. And so this morning, I wanna look at a section of Paul's journey. And I'll look at, at the perseverance that he had, because I, I believe that if we're ever going to, to get to a place where God can use us, if we're ever gonna get to a place where God is actually doing crazy things in our life, that we too have to, be, we have to have perseverance in our life. We have to be strong enough and have courage enough to walk through certain things that are gonna come into our life, because the thing is, the enemy does not want us to persevere. There are always gonna be obstacles and there's always gonna be things that come against us to stop us prefer- for persevering for the sake of the gospel. That's gonna be hard to say, so if I get all tongue-tied, y'all forgive me this morning. But there's always gonna be something that comes against us. But Paul did not let that slow him down. Um, so that's, that's what I wanna look at this morning. And we looked last week in, in Acts 20 and we, we, Scott told the story about the, the boy that had fallen asleep and, and fallen out the window. Um, which is just a bad place to listen to somebody preach. That's the, the more I read that story and me and Scott talked about it, the more I laughed. It's like, if I'm gonna listen to a guy preaching at midnight, I'm getting in a chair with some good cushion, some place that's not dangerous, but, but that's what happened in the story. He, he falls out the window and Paul goes and heals him and, and Scott pushed there and, and pushed us to not fall asleep on what God's called us to do. He pushed us to, to go and, and to do the things that God has called us to do and not fall asleep on what what God has called us to do. And so after we see Paul do that, we, um, we start seeing Paul tell his goodbyes for the last time to a certain group of people. He's kind of making his, his last um, mission trip and he, he knows that this will be the last time that he sees a certain group of disciples forever. You know, he's not gonna see their face again. 
Um, and he knows this because the Holy Spirit has told him this. If you look back in chapter 20, um, starting in verse 22, it says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish the course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face. Again, you see, Paul didn't know exactly what was awaiting him. He didn't know the details. He didn't know the ins and outs. All we know is that, that last week we, we ended on the fact that Paul knew that he had to go to Jerusalem. It says he's constrained by the Holy Spirit. He's tied up. He knows that no matter what, God has him on a direct course for Jerusalem and he knows some bad stuff is gonna happen. He, he knows some things are not gonna go his way. But he knows that he's got to go to Jerusalem to share his story, to share his testimony, to share the power of, of God in his life, to show the power of Jesus in his life, to give him freedom, to change the way that he looks at things. He knew that he had to tell that story. And he also knew the enemy was gonna be working against him to stop him. It's where Paul finds himself. So like I said, that's, that's where I wanna look at. I wanna look at how Paul persevered through these hardships and, and the face of the trial so that he could get to the place where he could do the, the mission and that's to share the gospel so that people could receive him or receive Christ and could, could find the freedom that Paul had. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump into chapter 21. Father, I ask you this morning to move in a way that, that maybe would make people, some people uncomfortable. God, because it's, it's my belief and it, it starts with, with me and it starts with Scott and it goes all the way down to the, to the youngest child in this church. We all have something big that you've, you've called us to do. You know, it's not just my job, it's not just Scott's job or, or Eric's or Ashley's or Deanne's or, or anybody that's on staff. It's not just our jobs to go out and share the gospel, but it's each person in this room's mission. God, and when we look at the state of the world and we look at all the things going on and we see that churches are closing their doors left and right and that the, the statistics show that this new generation from the millennials down is, is starting to turn away from the gospel. God, we've gotta stop and we've gotta assess and say, okay, something is wrong. Something is not happening the way that it is supposed to happen. Something somewhere is broken. The, the, the chain is broken for the, for the mission that we're, we're called to do. And I believe that it starts with, with the men and women that sit in church congregations all across the state. And it's because we have not persevered. We have not given everything we have to the mission and, and the call that you've put on our life. And some of us have no idea what that call even looks like. You know, some of us are, are just now kind of figuring out what it means to be a Christian. And some people that sit, even in this congregation, may not even know who you are. God, so I pray this morning, I pray that you would take these people God, you would stir in their hearts something bigger than themselves. God, that you would stir in their hearts to overcome whatever it is that has stopped them for so long.
whether it be fear, whether it be some sort of sin issue, or whether it be just lack of knowing what you'd have them to do, or, or whatever it is that has is, that is caused them to, to say, you know what, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do what you've called me to do. I can't go out and I can't share. I can't go out and I can't serve. I can't, I can't do this. Whatever it is that stopped them, that's, that's made them tell you no, God, I pray that you would convict. I pray that you would stir, that you would give boldness and courage in this room. God, and not just a human boldness and courage, but a, a spiritual Holy Spirit, fire-filled boldness and courage to go out these doors and be a different person, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but from here on out. God, and I pray that as we read Paul's story in, in, in chapter 21, that you would, you would show us some things that, that slow Christians down and we would be able to see Paul's example and we would be able to learn from it. God, there's a great, great harvest just awaiting us as we walk out these doors. God, and whatever it takes to get this group of people on fire for you, God, let it be done this morning. God, and I pray that if there's anybody in here that has been telling you no, God, that they would not be able to physically walk out this door without, you t without them telling you yes. God, so I just, I pray that you would move in a bold, mighty way this morning. God, that lives would be changed. God, so speak through me. Give me your words. Help me not speak anything of my own wisdom or knowledge, God, but it would be you speaking directly to your people. Father, I love you. God, I'm, I'm expecting big things. Amen. Awesome. So if you'll turn with me to 21, we're gonna start in verse one. And I'm gonna read for just a little while because I want you to kind of see the big picture in this, I want you to see the, the whole story and then we're gonna look back and kind of break it down. So starting in verse one, um, and before this, it, it's Paul is about to get on a ship. He's got some people praying for him um, and, and they're saying these last goodbyes. And, and so it's a very emotional moment for, for Paul and his disciples. And so when you, we start out in verse 21, or chapter 21, verse one, it says, and when we had parted from them, and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there from, to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For, the ship, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days had ended there, we departed and went on our journey. And they all with their wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then they went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people that there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? You're weeping and breaking my heart. 
For I'm ready not only to be in prison, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, you see brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they have told, they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles for the sake, for the, to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Now therefore we, we tell you, we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what you have been told, there's nothing in what they have been told about you, but, they, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and for sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Y'all hang in there with me, just a few more verses. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia seeing in the temple, seeing him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen him with Trimetheus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were still seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed crying, away with him, away with him. So what I wanna look at here is, is Paul starts his journey in the, in the, in the comfort of friends and the comfort of, of family, people that he had served with, he, people had poured his life with. He, he starts his journey there and he ends up having to be carried by Roman soldiers because the crowd was so violent that they wanted him dead, they were beating him. It's a very long journey, a very long way to go from comfort to being beaten for the gospel. And we, we, we find out just a little bit later that he talks to the, the cohort in the Tribune and, and he he gets access, he gets his permission granted for him to turn around and go back out and to speak to that very same crowd that was trying to kill him. Because Paul had one thing on his mind, to share the gospel. And so in 22, he shares his testimony. But I wanna look back, I wanna break this, 
this scripture down and really look at the things that Paul had to go through. And we see it right from the start. We see it in verse one. He had to persevere through very, very hard goodbyes. You see in this first verse it says, and when we had parted from them, that's not exactly what it looked like. Some of your versions may say when we tore ourselves away from them. What you have to realize is this was not an easy goodbye where they shook hands and said, I'll see you next week and walked away. This was them knowing exactly what was gonna happen to Paul. This was them knowing exactly what Paul was gonna have to go through. He was gonna get beaten. He was going to go through violence. He was, bad things were gonna happen to him. And so these people that loved him and cared about him were pleading with him to not go. They were, they were pouring, it was, it was just a very, very hard goodbye. They were pouring their hearts out to him. And, and so Paul and, and Luke and the people with him had to tear themselves away from these people that loved them. For Paul to start his journey, he had to persevere and know that the calling on his life was much bigger than physical relationship. He had to understand that even though these people loved him and even though these relationships were dear to him, that they were not as important as the greater call that he was called to. His mission was the most important, Paul knew he had to do what God had him to do and he was willing to sacrifice those relationships that he held dear. We, we see Jesus echo this point in Luke 14, 26 when he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so Paul was just exercising what he knew that Jesus had already said to do. He knew that there was no greater relationship or no relationship that was greater than his call. And so in this, I don't want us to miss this, that he had to start his journey wrapped around heartache. I can't imagine what it would be like for, for God to call me and say, you have to leave your family and, and get this. They knew that they'd never see him again. So it would be like God saying, I need you to go to the other side of the world. And by the way, you will never see your family ever again. Ever. This was not an easy call for Paul. It would have been torment for him and his soul and in his spirit to have to leave these people that he loved and he spent so much time with. But Paul, knowing what he had to do, persevered and he leaves. He tears himself away from the people that loved him because he knew what was most important. And then we see some crazy stuff happen starting in verse four. It says, once he he sails and he gets to a, a place called Tyre and it says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And that, when I started reading, that's confusing to me. Because you see over in chapter 20 that the Holy Spirit's told Paul to go. He knows he's got to go. He knows he's got a mission. He knows he's got something important he's got to do in Jerusalem. Then he gets to this other city, and it says that through the Spirit, the same Spirit that told Paul to go, it says these people were telling him he he, he shouldn't go. And so I started thinking, okay, well, one of them was obviously wrong because God doesn't have two different opinions on the same subject. He just doesn't. Whatever God says is is where men should agree. Doesn't matter what opinion is. If God says it, that's it. And so obviously there was a breakdown there. So so I tried to figure out, I started thinking, okay, so what would have happened? What was the Holy Spirit showing these people that would cause them to tell him not to go. And what, what I found out is, is these, these people had been shown the truth. These people had been shown that what awaited Paul was not pretty. 
These people had been shown that what Paul was gonna have to go through was not going to be fun, and so because they cared about him, they said, look, man, some bad stuff is, 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 is coming up. What you should do is stay with us and maybe go to Jerusalem at another time or, or maybe spend some time back in Ephesus or go to a different place because nothing but bad stuff is gonna happen to you in Jerusalem. But what they missed is that they didn't discern what the Holy Spirit was saying in the right way. Yes, those things were happening, but the Holy Spirit wasn't telling them to tell Paul not to go. They were just, he was just showing them what was going on. And so they put their own human version, human spin on what the Holy Spirit was telling them to do. And they gave bad some logically good advice, but actually they were found to be standing in the direct will of what Paul had to do, standing against God in the circumstance. And so Paul had to persevere through the advice of some friends that would have sent him way off the path of where God would have him to go. And, and, and the crazy thing is it doesn't happen once, but it happens twice. And the second time it's even worse. Pick up in, or in verse 10, it says, he, he kind of, he keeps going. He's sailing for a little bit longer. He comes to um, the house of Philip the evangelist, who, by the way, is, is one that was chosen to serve with Stephen um, back in earlier parts of Acts. And so he's staying there with, with Philip and, and his four daughters. And all of a sudden, as they were staying there, it says this prophet comes. <clears throat> and this was a reliable prophet because if you remember, he shows up earlier in Acts. It's this prophet named Agabus. And earlier he prophesied that there would be this great famine and the famine happened. And so he wasn't just somebody that showed up on the scene and said, you know what, I'm gonna say some stuff and, and it may or may not be true. This was a reliable prophet, one that people trusted. People had had proof that he was telling the truth. And so it says, while we're staying there for many days, this first ten, a prophet named Agabus came down to Judea, Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and hands. It says, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So not only, he's heard it once from a couple of different people, but now he's hearing it from a prophet, somebody that is reliable. It says, he says, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is what's gonna happen if you continue to go. And so now he's got two different groups of people that are, that are telling him not to go. And, and the verbiage changes here. We've, we know that Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so sometimes if you, if you read it slow enough, you can see that he says, and they did this, and they did this, and they did this. But if you pick up on it in, in the next verse, it says, and when we heard, so now not only are the people that are, that, are, that are not walking with Paul currently telling him not to go, now his own best friend that is walking with him says, you know what, Paul thinks this is a bad idea. And so now Paul has had to face his friends that have told him not to go. He's had to face a prophet that said not to go. And now he is completely alone in his determination to go and do what God has called him to do. He was the only one that stood up and said, no, this is what I have to do. All these people around him, people that he would have trusted, people that would have been great sources of wisdom said, you don't need to go. But Paul went anyways because Paul knew exactly what the Holy Spirit had told him to do. And he, he says that in, in his answer. It says, then Paul answered, this is verse 13. He says, what are you doing? He stops him in the truck and said, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart. So we see here that Paul, he's not just cold about this. He has an emotional reaction to his, his closest friends and his allies saying, don't go. He says, you guys are breaking my heart with your weeping and, and your pleading with me. You've got to stop. 
You've got to stop. Because you know me, for, it says, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned. This stuff that you've, you've seen prophesied in front of you, that's, that's nothing. I, I'm ready to be imprisoned. And not only that, he says, but I'm ready to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And so we see just once again Paul persevering through even this advice and all these things coming against him from people that were trusted. He persevered because he was solid on what God had called him to do. There was nothing that was going to, to, to sway him and make him go anywhere else. And so in verse 14 it says, and since he would not be persuaded, he was, he was strong in what he knew was true. Since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. They finally landed at a place where they needed to land. They said, you know what? If it's God's will and you know this is what God has you to do, then so be it. We'll step out of the way and we'll follow you to what you know that you're called to do. So Paul continues, so he's persevered through having to leave some really close friends and he's persevered through you know, having to persevere through advice that was, that was well-intended and, and, and well-meaning, but it was wrong. It was outside the will of God. And now, and now we're gonna see it, it kind of shift personal to Paul. And I, I think this is a big one because this, this is where I feel like a, a, a lot of my, I'll say me, I won't, I won't throw this on anybody else, a lot of my personal issue starts. We see that Paul had to persevere through a little bit of temptation. And what I mean by that is this, look at 17. It says, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. So they, they were excited to see Paul and his companions. They were pumped up. They were ready to go. They, they hadn't seen him, and it was exciting for him to be back in Jerusalem. And so this was a, it was a celebration. And so they received him, him gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us. So it was Luke and, and some others to, to visit James and the elders. So he goes, and, and this is James, the, the brother of Jesus, and he, he's the guy that's leading the Jerusalem church. And so they go in. And it's an awesome time. Everything's going good. Paul has finally arrived to Jerusalem where he knows he needs to be. And it says in 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry, which, my gosh, would that have been an amazing story. It says he, he, he recounted one by one the things that God had done. And I can't imagine all the things that Paul had accomplished through, through God and, and through God working for him. That must have been an amazing story of God's power and God's might and, and, and the Holy Spirit falling on people that, that nobody believed could have the Holy Spirit falling on them. It would have been just the best story ever told. And I know that Paul was you know, excited to say and, and share exactly what, what Jesus had done through him and the accomplishments that him and his, his group of people had, had accomplished through, through Christ. It says, and when they'd heard it, they glorified God. So they got excited. They gave glory to God. But I believe it was briefly because in the same breath, it says, and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of, who, of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law, which means they were just hardcore there about the law. That was all they lived and breathed. They were, that was the thing that they were most passionate about. Says they were zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? So there's all this celebration. Paul's doing so good. Everything's good. And then there's a, there's a but. 
There's a but. You did great, but. What you did was awesome, but. My dad's in the audience, I'm gonna pick on him for a second. He's awesome, I love him, he doesn't do this anymore. But growing up, I was an awful kid, just to give him full credit. It was awful, I was a terror. I pray that Adelaide does not turn out like me. So he would, I would do something and he'd be proud of me and, and he would go, I love you, but I wish you wouldn't have done this. You did great, but you could have done a little bit better. And what that does is it takes every bit of the wind out of your sail. You're pumped up, you're excited, you've done a good job, but you could have done one thing better. And so I, I don't want us to miss this. Paul was, was just as human as me and you are. Paul could have in that moment gotten frustrated. Because I know my tendency growing up was to be, well, if there's a butt in it, he must not love me. He must not be proud at all. You throw out all the good and all you do is focus on the bad. And so I believe that Paul in this moment had a, had a, a choice to make. He could say, well, that's on them. That ain't got nothing to do with me. Y'all know the stories. I just told you everything that I've done. Y'all know that that's not me. Well, they just need to get over themselves. Doesn't my track record speak enough of, of what I've done? Don't, don't they know better than that? Well, why haven't you guys had my back? Why haven't y'all been fixing the problem well before I got here? Paul could have gotten angry in this moment. Paul could have gotten frustrated. Paul could have, have let this go to his head and all of a sudden pride could have welled up in him. And I believe that, that pride was probably a sin that Paul dealt with because you see several times that he was the best of the best. He wanted to be the most awesome Jewish man. He wanted to, to, be, to be the most knowledgeable, to have the most credentials and he even lists them further on in Acts. So he could have very much let all the things that God was doing get in the way of what God was currently doing. He could, have, he could have let his pride and his ego get in the way. Because I know that's my tendency. But he didn't. He didn't. Paul had this heart, had this mindset that no matter what, I will become all things for all people so that by all means I may reach some. And so all he did in this moment is he, he sees the potential for a whole new market of people that he can share the gospel for, gospel to. He sees that they're just people that need to know about Jesus, that if they're having this mindset that is false and, and they're speaking lies, then obviously they don't know the gospel that I've been proclaiming. Let me go fix it. You know, Paul wasn't about himself. Paul wasn't trying to, to make his name great. He was trying to make Jesus' name great and he would do anything for the sake of the gospel. And that's, that's what we see Paul do. He didn't let that pride get in, in the way. And, and so Paul decided in that moment that it was better for him to keep the peace of the church and of the Christians. It was better for him to fight for the unity of all people instead of fight for his own personal rights. And so in that we see him persevere through the temptation of sin. And so he he does that, he, he decides, you know what, I'll do something. So they, they ask the question in, in verse 22, so what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. And so then you see the church 
give Paul some instructions. They say, this is what we want you to do. We've got these four guys who have taken the vow of the Nazarite. And what that is, is, is it was almost like a, a more intense version of, of our fasting. You know, people would take the vow of the Nazarite and they would abstain from strong drink and they would stay away from anything that defiled them. And so they would stay pure for, for most of the time about 30 days. Some is longer, some is shorter, but the average about 30 days. And what they would do in these moments is they would plead with God. Sometimes it was for, you know, for, for a child, they would, would pray for a child. Maybe it was some sort of sickness or disease that they just could not you know, get away from. They would, it, it's all sorts of things, but it was these people pleading on a different level for God to move in their lives. And so what you had to do is you had to go to the temple after a, a certain amount of days and you, would, you wouldn't cut your hair in those 30 days and you would offer your hair as a sacrifice and you had to pay a large sum of money as well. And so these men obviously could not afford it. And so what the church decides to do is they say, you know what? We want you to go with these men and we want you to pay for them to have this, this, this vow accomplished. Paul says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll go with these men. And so he does. He, he picks up and he goes and starts to process. He gets himself pure. And um, when the days were just about up, when he'd almost completed it, some Jews from, from Asia roll into town. And when they see Paul, they totally flip out. Because Paul wasn't just hanging out with, with Jewish people. He had some people from Ephesus and he had some different people that were Greeks. And, and the Greek people did not have any place in the temple. They were, if you were a Gentile, you were not allowed to touch the temple. You were not allowed to even look at the temple too long. You had to be a part of it. You had to be separated from it. It was a big no-no. And so these Jewish people roll in and they see Paul, this man who is teaching against the Jewish principles. And so they scream out, help, people of, of, of Israel, th this is the guy. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. He says, moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple because they saw that one of those guys was with him. And so they just assumed that since Paul was around the temple and he was, had Greek people around him, that, that obviously Paul would have brought somebody into the temple. And so they stir up all these lies. They stir up all this chaos and a riot breaks out. A riot breaks out and they seize Paul and it says they start just beating him because it was their intent to kill him because once that, that this, this people that were zealous for the law, the people that were truly zealous for everything that, that the law said, if you broke it and you went against that, you were enemy number one. And so they take Paul and they start beating him. Well, this gets the attention of the tribune that's there because he sat at a place, his, his office, if you want to call it, sat where you could see over the temple. And so all of a sudden he sees these thousands of Jews beating up this one guy and he's like, oh, we can't have this. And so he sends his soldiers and centurions to go and, and grab this man that he calls this, right? So he gets down there, he's trying to figure out what's going on. You've got some people saying one thing and you've got another people saying another thing, which I know Scott said this a few weeks ago, but that's, that's us. Half the time, the people are rioting, screaming, and don't nobody know what's going on. So it's similar to today, what's going on. People saying one thing, people saying another thing. Half the people don't even know why they're there. They just know that somebody was doing something wrong or they wanted in on it. And so because he couldn't figure out what was going on, he just grabs Paul. 
and carries him into the barracks. And it says they had to carry him because the violence was so great. They were saying away with him. And, and, and that's not just take him away, put him somewhere. When you really look at the Greek there, it's kill him. It's very similar to the chant that they, they gave to Jesus as they were wanting him crucified. I want him away to where he never is, is anywhere near anything. We want him dead because of, of what he has done. And so I wanna read just a few more verses in 37 and I wanna show you Paul's response. Because I don't know about you guys, but if, if I'm getting beaten by a large crowd, they are not my friends anymore. Like if you guys were to turn on me, which please don't, and y'all just rushed me. I'm gonna be in the fetal position, just praying for the end, and I probably will not be here next Sunday. That's just the truth of it, because that's me. But Paul had a different kind of perseverance than I do. We see Paul sees these people that have beat him. And we see that this is like Paul's thing. This has happened many times. We see that Paul, these people that have beaten him, he still loved them and still cared about them. And so we read in verse 37, it says, as Paul, was being, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you, do you know Greek? So the guy was taken aback because he didn't have a clue who Paul was either. He said, you're, you're studied, you're learned. You, you, you've got knowledge of different languages. He said, do you, are you not the Egyptian then who recently started up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So there was this guy who was wanted, this Egyptian guy who had, who had, who had led 4,000 assassins and they had done some awful stuff. And so they thought that this was what Paul, this is who Paul was. They had no clue who he was. They thought he was, he was a leader of an assassin. So Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, so no, he wasn't just asking if he could. He said, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language. And you see in chapter 22 that Paul tells his testimony. Paul tells his testimony of the, the great things that, that, that Jesus had done. And so what you see here, Paul persevered through great suffering so that he could get to the final stage of his mission. Paul persevered through just the worst beating that I can imagine. I've just never been beat up by a thousand people. I can't imagine, it's, that's awful. To the point where somebody had to carry me away because the violence against me was so great. Paul had, had the choice in that moment to say, you know what, if they're gonna treat me like that, I, I don't want anything to do with them. But he didn't, he persevered because the sake of the gospel was too great. And then as he moves into 22, which I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, he just tells his testimony. That's what we see in 22. We see Paul finally complete his mission. Well, the first stage of his great mission to go all the way, he gets all the way to Rome and we're gonna look at that over the next few weeks. But Paul gets up and in front of all these people who have just persecuted him and just made up lies against him and, and, and all the, the negative that you, can, that you can even muster, they pushed against him. He gets up and says, you know what, guys? I used to be just like you. But then something amazing happened to me. I found Christ and he showed up in a bright light on the road to Damascus. He changed my world forever. I went from being like you, persecuting anybody that was against the law, and I, I saw 
who Jesus truly was, who the Messiah truly was. He shares the gospel with them. That was the intent from the beginning. And had Paul stopped on any leg of this journey, then thousands of people would have missed out on hearing the gospel. Thousands of people. For the sake of the gospel, Paul always persevered. We see that he persevered through leaving his, his closest friends. And he had to persevere through seeking or getting wrong advice from, from his closest friends. He had to persevere through a, a temptation to sin. He had to persevere through extremely hostile situation and violence he had to persevere to finally complete his mission. And he didn't fail. And so as we see, Paul kind of continues his journey and he, he ends up in Rome and, and from Rome he writes several of the books in the New Testament. Thousands of people get saved through this whole exchange. But when I got through reading the story and I looked at the, just the, the awesome report that you read about Paul and his life and his integrity and his perseverance, I had to ask myself, what if Paul would have stopped in any leg of this journey? What if Paul would have said, you know what? It's too hard. It's too hard. I, I can't go on. And the thing is, is he had some reasonable, re, reasonable reasons, um, bad sentence structure. He had some good reasons to, to say no, that I'm not doing this anymore. He had some points where he, he could have said that's enough and nobody would have batted an eye. But I need you guys to understand that if he would have said no at any point, most of us might not be sitting here today. If he would have said no at any point, his great mission would have been stopped and we wouldn't have parts of the Bible that we hold dear. Had he stopped and not done what God had called him to do, salvation would have had to come from somebody different. Somebody else would have had to share the gospel. Somebody else would have had to tell those testimonies. Somebody else would have had to step up. There would have been a different route to our salvations. What you guys have to understand is, is we are here, we, are the, we believe in Christ, we have access to the gospel because these real men, they're not characters in a the book, these real men persevered through great hardships to share their faith and to share their testimonies and to give us the books that we have. And had it not been for their great faith and their perseverance, we wouldn't be here right now. We would have no hope for eternity. We would have no chance at knowing the gospel had these men not done what they were called to do. And then I think about Memorial Day. What, had, what would have happened if the men and women that have laid down their life for this country said, you know what, it's too hard. The sacrifice is too great. I'm not gonna do this. I shudder to think at what the world would look, at today, look like today. You see, they were tied to a great destiny. They were cried, or tied to a great fate. They had this great, this great contribution that they were supposed to give to the world. And had it not been for perseverance in, in Paul's life and perseverance in, in, this, in the men and women who've laid down their life for this country, this world would not look the same. You would not be sitting here at 350 Old Furnished Road getting to hear somebody preach you the gospel. It would look different. It would look very very different. So my question as I kind of close this thing up is do you guys believe that you have as much to impact the future as they did? Is your life have, gonna have as much impact as Paul's 
or is it the men and women that have laid down their life? My answer is yes. Your lives do matter that much. The choices that you make today do matter that much. And the world will look vastly different depending on what you say yes to and what you say no to in your lifetime. There are people generations from now that are, that are just banking on you guys, sharing your faith and saying yes to God because if not, they may not be able to hear it. And so I asked you guys this morning, when did you stop? When did you stop? Or have you stopped? What has made you tell God no? Because I believe, like I said earlier, that each one of you have a great, great mission, a great, great purpose. It's not just for me and Scott to preach the word. Each one of you are called specifically to something. You all have gifts, you all have talents. And I know some of you may not want to talk in front of people and some of you might not be called as professional ministers, people that get paid to do this, but each person in your life, in your sphere of influence, needs the gospel and you are the only one that can take it to them. Because there's people in your life that me and Scott will never have any impact on, never. And so it's y'all's responsibility to take the gospel to them. And so my question this morning is, is what's made you stop? What stopped our perseverance as a church because obviously something has come against us that said it's too much. So maybe in your life, it's that God's called you to move a little bit and you've said no. And this move didn't have to be you know, across the country or across the world. It could be just a little bit in, in, in your own world. And, and I'm gonna bring this up and it may step on a toe or two, but the gospel does what the gospel does. But in this church, we have small groups, we have life groups, and sometimes we're called to birth as groups. And it's not fun, it's not easy. I've been a part of one and it was, it was hard. But you know what that does when we move, when we separate ourselves, when we say, you know what God, I'll step over here. What that does in those small groups is that opens up chairs for lost people to come in and hear the gospel. Sometimes saying goodbye to friends, just a shift, just a little bit, will open up room for new people to come in and because of our actions, because we were willing to shift just a little bit, new people will hear the gospel. There's people that were in my small group, that's, that's the case for them that got saved because we made room for them. Maybe it's to shift at a job or, or shift a friend group or to, to leave some people behind, but if God has told you to move in whatever capacity it is, where it be very, very small, very, very big, you could be found hindering the gospel if you're not willing to say, okay, I'll move. I'll do whatever it takes. So maybe God has called you to move and you've said no. Maybe you've, you've stopped moving forward because of discouragement from friends. Maybe, that, maybe you've said, you know what, I feel a call to go do something. They go, you can't do that. Do you remember, do you remember who you, you were? How? God can't use you that. Or, or you stutter, or you, you, you don't really like talking in front of people, or how could you do that? I'm here to tell you I have horrible anxiety and I'm sweating through my shirt because I hate being up here in front of people, but God called me to do it, so I do it. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about what, what, what's going on in our lives. If God calls us to it, you, you go do it. So maybe some people in your life have, have kind of put you down or, or they said, you know, that's, that'll be scary. Maybe you shouldn't go. I'm sure everybody that's been called to the mission field has said, you're going where? You're going, you're going where? They don't have a McDonald's over there. You'll, you'll die. What about the weird food? 
or maybe it's, it's a, a job or, or whatever, but, but God, God wants us to go and he wants us to do things that may potentially be scary. And so maybe you've stopped your journey. Maybe you've stopped your, your, your mission from God because somebody has told you you can't do it or to not go. Maybe it was church people that told you to go or to not go. Maybe they stopped you and stood in the way, but what you'll find is that those people, even though their heart is in a good place, they are found to be standing in the will of God in your life. So you go when you're called to go, or maybe, I think this is a big one, I think this one's probably one that will hit home for most of us. Maybe you've stopped because of a sin issue in your life. Maybe you don't share the gospel. Maybe you don't seek out that, those people to, to share with and, and maybe your perseverance has stopped because you've got some sort of sin issue holding you back. Some bitterness, some anger. Well, I can't forgive that person. You know what they did to me? Or I just, I'm too good to do that. I'm not going to sit with that person. I'm not going to talk to that person. They're gross. Or, or maybe it's, any other kind of sin that kind of wells up in our life that, that stops us from completing the mission that God's got for us. We are the biggest instruments in stopping the, the, the gospel from going because we get wrapped up in self. And we love to blame it on the enemy. We love to blame it on Satan. But guess what? I, I think a lot of times Satan's just over there taking a nap because we're, we are far better at destroying our lives than he ever needs to assist us in. I don't need his help. I don't, I'm, I like sin, sin's fun, sin's pretty. It's very enticing, that's why it's sin, that's, why it, that's how Satan works. And so we do our own job of getting in our own way. So maybe it's sin that stops you from going and doing what you need to do. Or maybe it's fear of rejection. Maybe it's fear of hostility from the world. Maybe it's that fear of, well if I say this, I could lose my job. Or if I say this, I may have to lose these friends, or if I say this, I, I, I may lose my family. Some of you have, have family members that, that are not saved, that if you approach them and share the gospel, they may, may never talk to you again. Maybe it's that fear of rejection that says, you know what, I, I'm good with going, I'm good. I, I, can, I can do some small stuff, but I, I really, I, I care about what is gonna happen to me. I don't wanna go through these hardships. I don't wanna go through these hard times. Maybe that's what's stopping you. My prayer this morning is, is Franklin and, and, and Blake come back up here. Is that whatever it is that's in your way, and I didn't hit all the reasons that we stop and we don't do stuff, but whatever it is that's going on in your life, I pray that God would convict you over it. I pray that whatever it is is hindering the, the gospel moving in your life, this morning you would let it go. Because there are friends and family, there are people in your lives, there, there are people that are lost and are gonna spend eternity in hell and the only people that can do anything about it is the people sitting in this room. And it's on us to persevere through any obstacle that comes our way because just like Paul, our mindset has to be that the gospel is the most important thing. We have to have the same mindset that no matter what happens to me, I'm willing to be imprisoned, I'm willing to, to lay down my life so that some people might get to hear the hope of Jesus Christ. We don't have that fire and passion in us anymore, church. We walk out these doors and we, we go lunch and we're excited because we get out earlier than all the other churches and we beat the rush. 
And we're more concerned when we walk out these doors and when we walk out of discipleship development about what we're going to eat today than the lost people that we're gonna encounter on the way to lunch. You've got people in your life that need to hear about Jesus Christ and we keep our mouth shut and they're going to spend eternity separated from the Father because we are not brave enough and bold enough and have the courage to persevere to say something to them. What stops you? What is holding you back? What chains do you have still on you that say, I can't do this when God is going. I need you to go because I'm not here. I'm not the one that's doing this. You guys are the missionaries. This morning, I beg you, I, I, I plead with you, as God has worked on me this week, to lay whatever chain it is down on this altar. Because you have people that you're gonna encounter that need Jesus the same way that you needed Jesus. And for those of you that are looking into your, your life and saying, well, I can't talk to that person because I can't forgive them. Paul literally went out and shared the gospel with the people that physically beat him. If Paul can look past those people, if Paul can look past that, that hurt that they physically do, I mean, he was walking out with the bruises and the blood still on him sharing the gospel. You can forgive anybody that's happened or come into your life. If Jesus Christ can look at the people on the cross, the people that hung him there and say, they don't know what they're doing, Father, forgive them, then you can get over whatever it is in your heart that you've got towards somebody else. The world needs you. Needs you. Because if not, churches will continue to close their doors. If not, this new generation, this generation that I'm over, they will continue, as, they, as the generations progress, they will continue to love Jesus less and less. And you know what? It's just me and a couple leaders. There's 35 of them. I need some help pouring into the lives. You older people that know things, have lived in this life, have experienced life, they need you. Guys, and it's on you too. Some of you are in high school, that's the biggest mission field that you will ever encounter. So don't get so wrapped up in your grades and your 4.0s and making sure that you know all the stuff about the plant sale and forget to know everything about the fact that Jesus made that plant sale and made every sale inside of you and he wants everybody else to know about him. What's holding you back this morning? Franklin and, and Blake are gonna play the song. I'm gonna be now at the front, but my prayer this morning is that whatever chain is holding you back, that you would come down here and you would find encouragement, that you would find courage, you would find bravery, you would have that person on your heart and you would come down here and you would pray heavily for them and you would go and seek after opportunities and open doors to share Christ because that is what you were called to do. Joshua 1, 9 says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous and trust and know that the Lord your God is with you always. So you can go, you can be courageous and you can go do the things that God has called you to do because God is with you. Father, I pray that you would break the heart of these people. God, just like you, you, you broke the heart of Jeremiah as he saw his nation crumbling and you broke it and he was weeping and he was mourning and he was, he was as, as tore up as he could possibly be over the fact that the people around him were not following after you. God, I pray that over this people. God, that whatever it is that is holding these people back, whatever it is that is, that is causing them to not be successful for the gospel, for, to going out and loving on people, whatever it is, God, I pray that you would break them. 
God, and that you would move in such a way that the people in this room would have to walk out different than they walked in. Paul's perseverance is an example. The men and women that have fought for this country are an example. We need to emulate him. Paul says, follow after me as I follow after Christ. Imitate me, have this same heart. God, and I pray that that would be the hearts of these people. God, so as we move into this time, God, I pray that you would flood this altar with people that, that just need to get back on the right track. They need to get back to a place where they're persevering through any trial, any tribulation for the sake of being able to share the gospel. So Father, you move and you do what you need to do in this place. Amen.